The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Now, Exo-Ordinary Mind Facts Did you know technology is becoming indistinguishable from reality? It's getting harder to spot a deepfake video. And deepfakes are becoming even more realistic. In the latest example of deepfake technology, researchers have shown off new software that uses machine learning to let users edit the text transcript of the video to add, delete, or change the words coming right out of somebody's mouth. Recently, Samsung researchers announced a system that can create realistic deepfake video avatars from just one image. We now have the technology to create completely virtual fake human beings, out of nothing. Think about the potential danger of the misuse of this technology. How easy will it be to frame someone? And conversely, people will soon claim real videos of themselves are fake. This technology has the potential to ruin relationships, reputations, our online reality, and most importantly, our trust in society. The potential ramifications of deepfakes should act as a call to action in redesigning systems of trust, to be more open, more decentralized, and more collective. Now is the time to start thinking about a different future for society. And that was, Exo-Ordinary Mind Facts. Now, on to this week's Veritas interview. I'm Exo. Good night. Interactions with alternate realms, the dead, and non-human entities, out-of-body and near-death experiences, psychic and healing abilities, mystical and peak experiences, and more have opened the door to unseen forces and questions about consciousness, life, and reality that science struggles to explain. Tonight's groundbreaking discussion with a neuroscientist and unbiased futurist thinker will answer and wake you up to the meaning of life, reality, and you. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Robert Davis. Dr. Davis bridges the gap between science and spirituality through an objective evidence-based analysis of experimental research and theories, integrating them with life-changing personal accounts of spiritual and extraordinary experiences. He is an internationally recognized scientist in his field who graduated with a PhD in sensory neuroscience from the Ohio State University and served as professor of neuroscience at the State University of New York for over 30 years. He has published over 60 articles in scholarly journals, lectured at national and international scientific conferences, and was awarded several major research grants from the National Institute of Health and the National Science Foundation. He has written three books. The latest one is titled Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You, which will be the focus of tonight's interview. His website is bobdavisspeaks.com. 
Bob.com. Dr. Robert Davis joins us directly from Northport, Florida. Hello, Bob, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Mel. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you again. It's always a pleasure. And on first of all, congratulations on the new book, Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. But I don't think I asked you the last time we had you on, what motivated you to leave academia on retirement and engage in writing these books? Oh, well, uh, I didn't have the initial motivation until I had some unique experiences, which led to the development and production of each individual book. Uh, for instance, upon retirement, uh, my wife and I vacationed out in Sedona, Arizona. For a few listeners who are familiar with it, it's a beautiful, beautiful area of the country. Oh. Red rock galore, known for its uh, so-called mystical paranormal-like activity, uh, one of the portals, as they say, <laughs> around the world for such activity. Um, we were walking one, one night. Uh, suddenly, uh, we each noticed two orange orbs in the night sky. Uh, first one appeared, and then the second one seemed to emerge from within it or behind it. They remained stationary for several minutes and then winked out. No, obviously it could be a, it could be anything, but it was most unusual. Obviously, I will, would refer to it as a UAP. That stirred more than my interest uh, and and excitement <laughs> to say for sure. Especially since I've been very interested in in the U UFO phenomenon, and I'd like to refer to it as a UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, so that led me to write. The first book, uh, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe? Then about two years later, uh, and Mel, I think I was on the show with you actually discussing that book. That's um, right. Um, uh, and then about uh, two years later, Mel, I, um, I had a lucid dream. Uh, the first one, as I recall, I, I just can't remember having anything so vivid and real uh, in, in content. I felt I was suffocating. I, I, uh, I was struggling to breathe with all the horror of having that type of symptom, knowing you're going to die. Not surprisingly, that fear alone woke me up. And upon waking, I, had, I knew without question that my dear friend Anne had passed away. And you, you got it. She passed away, as I later found out, that just around that time in the morning. Um, and I purposely, in fact, uh, asked what time, and, and it was, you know, plus or minus a couple of minutes, as best as I could estimate. Estimate. I asked, I asked her son at, at the funeral, just out of curiosity. In, in any case, the two alone, having a lucid uh, a dream, which was most unusual for me, and having it associated with her passing is a classic synchronicity, timing and meaning, and meaning. And Jung would certainly classify that as a synchronistic event. Uh, nevertheless, that led to me writing the second book, Life After Death, an analysis of the evidence. Uh, that's more of an academia-based book uh, in terms of presenting research and reincarnation, obviously near-death and out-of-body experiences. Uh, uh, and, and, and other aspects of ESP, evidence, in other words, that represents an argument, theories that support the distinction between consciousness, whatever that might be, 
this time of the year <laughs> and the brain. Uh, and of course, anecdotal evidence exists as well as experimental that do suggest that. Nevertheless, okay, another two years go by and I give a talk in Australia at a conference. I uh, can't recall the name of it, but it pertained to uh, consciousness. And <clears throat> after I gave the talk, I, I was outside the auditorium talking with a few people. And, and a couple of people suggested we go to a hotel room and, um, and have a few drinks and chat. So we all went. Uh, during the evening, the woman said, can we do some healing? And everybody seemed to agree. Uh, I was a little uh, inebriated, so I went along for the ride. She started talking about erasing engrams, cleaning DNA, uh, uh, rid the body of disease, uh, get rid of the bad entity, et cetera, et cetera, along those lines, conceptually, conceptually at least. Well, I began to cough excessively, literally 20 minutes worth of coughing, uh, and also begin to have involuntary bodily movements of so my shoulders, my lips, my head would turn. Another person in the room literally fell on the floor and was writhing. But all along, it, although it looked like the people in the room were in distress, there was a very positive energy flow, as we all discussed afterwards. Oh, it felt high, highly energetic and joyous, in fact. Uh, another person had similar kinds of reactions, uh, dramatic in nature, profound, to say the least. And it, it, if it was a hypnosis, my gosh, I, I, that would surprise me. I don't consider myself uh, one who can be hypnotized. It has been tried and unsuccessfully. And to have everybody react in an involuntary manner, uh, time locked to her discussion is quite, quite unusual. I had a separate session with her, same effect. And I could think in my head, I could say to myself, I am a conscious and look at my body. I can't control it. Uh, and I'm feeling interconnected with the, with the reality. I come away with it, of course, with great anxiety. What happened to me? A type of spiritual emergency that people have after any profound experience, like an NDE, uh, a DMT experience, like ayahuasca, uh, a UAP experience, anything that might uh, make one question the, the nature of reality, one's role in life, uh, that they are now distinctly different than their brain. At least they come to that realization uh, with, the, with the validity of, of like the, they know the back of their hand. Those kinds of unique, extraordinary events that I guess the majority never kind of experience, but those who do are changed. And we're going to talk about that uh, along the lines of the concept in the book, Unseen Forces, that, that does address that. Well, I came back to the States and changed. I had an altered state of consciousness. Uh, very good, very positive in many ways, and we'll talk more about that again. But I felt uplifted, energetic. I, I wanted to hug trees, and in fact did, never wanted to before. Uh, but it, I also had a million questions in my head. I felt the negative as well as positive vibes from people. I felt as if I was more sensitive 
to other people's emotions. Now, if it was a, a, a brief psychotic episode, um, um, you know, bring it on. It was very f- positive. However, there was associated anxiety, a type of spiritual emergency that did persist for a few weeks. People have that. It's not uncommon. Again, along along the types of experiences that we're going to be addressing. So that led to me writing this book, Unseen Forces, the Integration of Science, Reality, and You, which is my attempt to write it more for the general population. And, and thus far, it seems to be going very well in terms of acceptance uh, and, and general feedback. So um, it's a long-winded story, but I'm waiting now for my next <laughs> extraordinary experience as to facilitate writing my next book, whatever that is. You know, I uh, I, I, I have I can only guess as to what that might be. Do you think you're writing these books because obviously you're motivated by purpose? But this uh, can we call it a peak experience? Is this a big catalyst? Oh, indeed. Uh, indeed, it, it was like a culmination of all uh, of that experience as well as the other two experiences with the UAP and the shared death experience, which is essentially what I had, knowing uh, knowing my Anne had passed via the lucid dream. Uh, but I try to figure out what, on the basis of my personal experiences and and what I, I know from my own research uh, in, in the literature, and we all we all uh, read articles and, and, and anecdotal evidence as well as experimental evidence. And I'm, I'm very geared in that direction since I did research. Uh, so I do look at uh, studies done by Dean Radin, among others, in parapsychology and ESP, remote viewing, uh, and, and associated uh, information on OBEs and NDEs, among other related topics. So I'm, I'm more focused in that direction, but how can you not uh, incorporate reading other books on, on UFOs by Ballet and Heineck, uh, among among John Keel, among many others. And I'm hesitant to name names because you regret <laughs> those names you left out. But so it, it, we all do that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and you do learn a great deal about possibilities that and, and we have to be very careful trying to adopt a particular conclusion. And I think it's premature to, to, to make a conclusion about what this all means. But this, yes, but this book was an attempt to at least pre- present the evidence and my two cents worth in terms of what might be the unifying characteristic that subserves these UAP experiences, uh, NDEs, psychoactive reactions from certain substances, um, and OBEs. Uh, among other kinds of consciousness-based experiences that defy logic, uh, like ESP, uh, precognition, psychokinesis, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. So there is a unifying factor. Not surprisingly, uh, we come up with the term consciousness as as that, as, as I think most of the audience came to that, that conclusion, uh, and that's a likely possibility, but we first need to understand what consciousness is. And, and I don't, 
I don't come across as knowing uh, what it is, uh, yet many people do so. Uh, and many people from different disciplines do so. And, and depending on the discipline, we're going to have a different definition of what consciousness is. Obviously, the physician evaluates that as a level of alertness as it relates to a comatose or a fully awake state. You ask a psychologist, you're going to get an explanation of consciousness on the basis of what? Cognition, uh, semantic context, uh, memory, uh, and other related issues. That, But here again, we'll now look at the philosopher, and I guess you could say all bets are off. <laughs> you could get any kind of explanation. The point is... While many profess to have a, a firm understanding of what consciousness is, I think they have keen insight. I like to write about it and read about it from others. You know, panpsychism is the current kind of popular theory. Who knows what it'll be in five years? You can't firmly prove it, uh, what it is, um, and maybe and likely will someday, but it interrelates with all of these other types of peak experiences, as you said, and that's and that's a term that um, Walter Stace and uh, uh, name escapes me at the moment, uh, put, you know, used to try to explain a, a realer than real experience uh, beyond everyday awareness where one feels interconnected with the universe and, and, and has a sense of altered time and space. Uh, they develop keen insight and wisdom, so they feel. And they do feel, uh, not all, but many feel as if they, they are separate from their body and can engage in telepathic communication with non-human entities who they claim to interact with. Uh, sometimes it's deceased relatives, it's the supreme beings, as we all know. This is not, this is not necessarily new information. But it might be for some, but also uh, the alien greys and other types of species that people report when they interact with the UAP, like the insectoids, the mantids, etc. The greys, as well as human-looking and energy beings associated with the UAP. But they also say, along with their enhanced intuition, they also have renewed psychic abilities. Many people who have NDEs, for instance, say afterwards that they do have psychic abilities. What we lack, however, is research to do a pre-post-test comparison in that individual and and in, in a group uh, of individuals with, with large sample sizes to know in, whether or not, in fact, they do develop psychic abilities. And as far as I know, there's no study along those lines. But the point is they, they perceive it. Uh, and if they do so, then they do. If they think they have precognition or can sense others' feelings, whatever it might be, in a, in a way that they never could before, then, then it is an aspect of uh, an enhanced psychic ability. Nevertheless, they, they feel uh, reality is different. And, and many come away from these kinds of peak experiences saying that uh, – it's, it's a manifestation of what the, what's the term? Cosmic, creative energy. Uh, they, they speak of uh, multiverses, a common term. Uh, parallel universes, alternate realities, dimensions, um, where there's different time and space where other beings are perceived. 
And here again, we, we try to capture the underlying uniform foundation, if at all possible. And I don't, I'm not proclaiming to have any answers, but there is a commonality associated among all of these types of peak experiences. And, uh, and there are obvious differences, too. But the similarities, I think, cannot be ignored. Uh, because if we can understand maybe what ties it together, what mediates them, governs and regulates it, especially as it relates to one's consciousness, of course, and the alterations in time and space and accessibility to what they perceive is an alternate reality, where other beings and deceased relatives, again, exist. Well, this is not that far-fetched, although it does certainly sound that way on the surface. But if you look at the existing theories, as we're, uh, I think, uh, familiar with, there are there are uh, buy-ins by many physicists, among other types of scientists, who firmly believe in parallel universes, alternate dimensions. Uh, Mikhail Kaku, Stephen Hawking, Brian Greene, uh, yeah, there's a long list uh, throughout uh, decades. Now, mathematical, uh, exquisitely derived equations, of course, come up with uh, that answer. Uh, let's take a spaceship and experience it. That's another thing. But these individuals say they do. Now, well, we got to we got to maybe say, wait a minute and not jump on the bandwagon and, and be firmly convinced that they are, in fact, piercing the veil as they say they are and interacting with that non 3D existence. Why do they feel profound joy and peace and these kinds of visionary encounters with the divine and the non-human entities, uh, it, all of it collectively, it seems to change their personal and philosophical viewpoints. It has a transformative effect on them. We've heard this in varying contexts, but they view life different, health, love, death, spirituality. Yeah, it's shifted. You know, in fact, there was a recent study, Mel, uh, by John, uh, researchers at John Hopkins University. It just uh, came out about a month ago. Uh, they did an online survey of over 3,000 individuals. Uh, let, if my memory serves me right, approximately one-fourth of those individuals were claimed to be atheists. After they ingested DMT, no, excuse me, but psilocybin, similar, uh, they then altered their belief in the sense that they now believe that there was indeed a supreme power of some type, not necessarily a, yes, a bearded individual sitting in a cloud kind of figure, but a, a, a power um, that <laughs> caught their attention to the point where they now believe, as opposed to before, in a deity of some type. What that is is a personal thing, I guess. But they believe, which is interesting. It, it, obviously, that has to be quite a profound experience from top to bottom, inside and out, for it to alter one's belief uh, in that way. But people are here again are changed from that moment forward after the NDE, the UAP encounter. I think we get it, right? Uh, that, that impression or the awareness of what they feel is an ultimate truth. The, the unity, I think they all <laughs> will agree with, and many use that term, that a unity of, of all things. 
that interconnectedness. So, the, but the you know the ultimate question, Mel, and I, and this is another reason why I wrote the book. Are you know I try to be objective. I, I grew up with the scientific method, and that's that's very positive. We need that, of course. However, at times it can cause bias in the researcher by strictly strictly uh, doing research using the scientific method, you're going you're gonna to put on some blindfolds and not, in other words, not accept the anecdotal evidence that you're hearing from individuals who are going through these kinds of experiences, listening intently and, and developing and analyzing a, a type of qualitative evaluation of their experience, something that is severely lacking. And I encourage researchers to consider doing just that. There's a few studies and I mean just a few, that do look at the essence of the experience. Um, and it's been done in, 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 in some NDEs and those who take DMT, but to a very small degree, as I emphasize. So we need to compare it because the preliminary evidence is showing similarities, which here again supports the possibility of there being a unifying feature through these kinds of experiences. Um, um, so uh, we can, those reasons, among others, I guess, answers your question. <laughs> you know, are these people seeing a different world or are they seeing this world differently? And that's the question I really wanted to, to address in, in the book. Let me unpack this slowly because you threw so many conce- concepts at me and you have no idea how much pleasure I, I derive by having somebody who's trained in the scientific method, but also has is walking on that threshold of what cannot be proven. I mean, the inexistence of a God or the inexistence of a a parallel dimension, if you will. Plus, we have thousands of witnesses all over the world. They have their own perception. Uh, But let me just start with a couple of things. Number one, the term UAP, Jacques Vallée, you were using it. Even the government is using it now, more so than UFO. Are you seeing that this, this acronym is being used more now than UFO, and if so, why do you think that is? Uh, well, I I wrote an article along with a few other individuals when I was a member of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into sure. uh, Extraterrestrial Free. and Extraordinary Encounters. Free, correct. Uh, Ray Hernandez uh, is a, a board of members on the board of members and co-authored the article. And I'm getting to the UAP issue here because we did make a point to to specify essentially what what the distinction is. Um, um, Dr. Russ Scalpone, a psychologist who did the statistics and contributed in many ways, and Dr. Rudy Shield, an astrophysicist um, who was a director at the Smithsonian Lab uh, at Harvard. Uh, we co-authored an article that appeared in the Journal of Scientific Exploration. And it was last year, 2018, and the um, I think it was uh, it was the March or the June issue. Uh, you could read it online at the Society for Scientific Exploration. It's accessible uh, in their journal section, uh, volume three, something like that, uh, number three. This was a study on over 3,200 individuals who claimed to have interacted with the UAP. Uh, it, it doesn't carry a negative connotation like UFO, which has existed you know, since, you know, since we call them flying saucers. Um, I, I don't like it for a number of reasons, unidentified flying objects, uh, 
you know, it's too too limited in a sense. Uh, these phenomena, aerial phenomena, also incorporate uh, things like orbs, uh, atmospheric, uh, cosmological events, among other things. In, in any case, I encourage those to read the article for a better and detailed, more detailed explanation of not only the study, uh, which I'd like to talk more about, uh, Mel. And I think your listeners could also find uh, what the, the, the show in, in the archives of your amazing collection of, of programs of, over a long period of time. Uh, they, uh, uh, it, it, it deserves discussion and also recognition. You know, we get so much information here in, in recent months, which is great, about the ATIP, uh, this, you know, uh, information campaign, the drip, drip, drip on the UAP. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not all up and close and personal with the political issues and the detailed information that's stirring controversy and debate. Uh, I do have some reservations. I think it's wonderful that this information is out there. Uh, people are being awakened. Uh, about the the seriousness and the validity of of the UAP, which is certainly real. There's no question about it. I'm not. Uh, I don't think I'm convincing anybody. If anybody's curious where I stand on the matter, the obvious question is what is governing and regulating it. And I doubt very much a leading authority figure uh, is going to be in front of the cameras at eight o'clock in the evening is telling everybody that that a form of non-human intelligence is indeed operating some kind of aerial phenomena and interacting with humans uh, for purposes unknown, but it might incorporate some um, uh, genetic material. Uh, it might uh, be to understand the essence and nature of our planet, uh, or to study our emotions, and anything in all possibility. The point is, all we're doing is throwing out any and all possibilities of what this is. Is it physical, non-physical? Well, I think Heineck and Valet got it right, and Kiel especially. It's it's a physical phenomena. Uh, depressions on the ground, it's on radar. Uh, uh, weapons uh, seem to bounce off it, according to a few pilots who do shoot it, like the Iranian pilot um, uh, it, back in '74, I think, in, in Tehran. Uh, the but it's also what they what they said was a mental component to the phenomena. It's not as simple as Project Blue Book series on TV. It's not as simple as uh, uh, unidentified on TV, which which does show. Uh, 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 you know, probably very accurate, detailed accounts of the USS Nimitz, as as told by many individuals who experienced it. I think that's fantastic. Wake wake people up, uh, finally. Uh, but it's not telling us who who have long read and uh, understand and research to research the topic area. Not new to us. It's the skeptics and those in, who are clueless, who I guess are being better informed and maybe to, to begin now to take it more seriously. You know, most live their lives nine to five, pay the bills, etc., and don't give a hoot. And that's fine, too. But I seem to be a little bit more obsessed than the average individual. I tend to have a neurotic tendency. So it's, you know, it's shifted in this direction. And that's OK. I, I researched this and other things associated with the peak experiences. But again, um, I'm getting a little off topic. And excuse me, please. But is this real? Are, are they seeing a UAP in the sense that it's a tangible event or is it an illusion? 
induced by a, a psychosis, a dissociation disorder. Many, many uh, biologists, physicists will claim it's a neurobiological problem, a brain neurochemical dysfunction, a memory disturbance, a, a sleep pathology, some abnormality that's material in, in nature. The essence of it lies right between your two ears among the 100 you know, billion cells uh, in, your, in your brain. Uh, with double the, that of the synapses. And, and each one, by the way, of the 100 or so billion neurons in your brain, uh, it has been postulated, I don't know how accurate it is, that you'll need a computer the size of the United States in order to perform the function quantitatively as one single neuron in the brain. Well, you know, you know something, Mel, and I'm getting off topic here, but the nervous system is too slow to do that, which is why quantum processes probably do. But the point is here, too. A lot of these individuals who do pierce the veil and interact with these beings associated with the UAP, uh, the NDEs, etc., they often bring up the term quantum. Uh, they also often bring up the term holographic. They often bring up the term the past, present, uh, the concept of past, present, and future exists simultaneously. There's no time, no space. No up or down. I can move at will. And I feel. And they feel. And I know what they feel. And we communicate somehow in a non-local way, which we call ESP, telepathy, ESP, there's many aspects of it as in telepathy, precognition, remote viewing, etc. Um, but, you know, what does it mean? Obviously, we don't have the scientific principles that adequately can be applied to, to accurately explain what, what, what this is all about. You know, people make conjectures about the UAP. Uh, it's, you know, the answer probably is completely distinctly different than every every uh, idea that's out there you know uh, may, maybe a few are remotely close to to what is governing and regulating it you know, it, it's it seems to be so it could be a, you know it could be a species that coexisted on our planet that was that was here before we emerged in the primordial soup for all i know yeah anything and anything is possible who, who are we? You know, I was thinking, Mel, just the other day. My, uh, well, I don't know. My, my dad was uh, walking on dirt uh, just a hundred and uh, just a hundred and five years ago in Verbovitz, Russia, Ukraine, as millions of others were. We all, we all understand this. A hundred years, and look, look at the difference. We, we know this. You know, you know we take it for granted. Uh, many futuristic thinkers, however, are saying, you know, what's the next hundred years, which is probably going to be geometrically uh, greater than the technological, uh, among other types of advances that we've made in the past century or so. So who, thus, uh, what's a thousand years plus principles we cannot comprehend that that's what we're dealing with here, possibly. It's something that is just so advanced that don't even bother talking. Why are you talking about Roswell and Rendlesham and, and, and what it's an extraterrestrial, it's an interdimensional. It's business. You know, it's good for it's good for business. It makes for great discussion. And up and I and I chime right in. It's entertaining. It's stimulating. It truly is. And people I'm, I'm not knocking it. 
but people should be thinking more along these lines because in a sense we're we're looking at the future uh, possibilities uh, it's like star trek of course uh, many things in the series are coming to pass uh, certainly um, some individuals with keen insight are capable of doing so and i marvel at them and i think we all like that we have that innate spiritual quality about us that's Transfer genetically, yeah, transgenerational uh, epigenetic inheritance, as it's called. The more research done in that area, the more it does seem that we do acquire the emotional and, and experiential states, so to speak, of our ancestors that could skip a generation, for instance. But we acquire, obviously, the phenotype, the body appearance, of course. But we, we also inherit in the DNA more than that the fears, frustrations, phobias. White people don't, you know, I don't believe in a clean slate. We're not born in a sense the same. I think we're pre-programmed, obviously, with different sensitivities, uh, innateness for spirituality, for instance, to, to want to know the answers, to find the truth. Why? Why do we all have that? Not all have that, but some to a large extent, others not. Because our ancestors, of course, did when they saw the lightning and they heard the thunder, etc. How are they going to ex explain all this? They obviously asked questions and, and sought, the help, sought the help of gods for, for security purposes. And maybe, maybe their frequent obsession, searching for answers, trying to ascribe meaning or protection in a god, an unseen force, in other words, Mel. Uh, maybe that's why maybe that's why we do the same now. Do you think uh, this is why there's a god spot in our brain? Uh, this, you know, good, good question, Mel. It, it, there is a, a new field that has emerged uh, comparatively, and that's uh, the field of neotheology. And what they're trying to do, and it's related to what we're talking about now, uh, and to what some of your guests have uh, in, in your prior, you know, very stimulating shows, they're trying to figure out uh, where in the brain spirituality exists. Is it facilitated, you know, by brain processes? And they've they've attempted to, to you know identify certain areas that give rise to these spiritual experiences. One experiment, uh, if, if I recall, uh, they have about 40, 50 subjects. They present them with phrases like, uh, God will guide my act, something like that, or God will protect me, um, etc. Uh, they find that you know, when they're hooked up to uh, you know, magnetic resonance imaging, uh, the, the latest uh, PET scans, all of that, where up, reuptakes of glucose is seen, uh, heightened activity is illustrated along with the neurophysiologic events that are monitored, uh, measured, analyzed. Certain areas light up. There's enhanced activity. One in particular, the left inferior region of the parietal lobe. That's that's you know above your ear about an inch and a half, uh, uh, you know just about center. Uh, that area processes say uh, spatial orientation. It even um, helps with language, and very tentatively, the researchers um, forget his name um, Newberg Newberg among others. They 
they feel this might be the God spot responsible for spirituality. Well, it, you know, it only means what? You know, I believe in God. You know, God, when, when you say God, it means so much to me. It has so much meaning. It's part of millions of people's lives, obviously, forever. That's inherited, probably. And why not there be a region that is a little bit more sensitive to those terms? Because the, the words themselves, God, and uh, the implications in terms of feeling, emotion, experience, praying. Yeah, well, yeah, of course it's there. That doesn't mean, however, you see, this is, people should not confuse that religiosity versus what? An area of the brain that is more spiritual, more psychic, uh, that, that can separate possibly from the brain under certain unique issues, uh, experiences like, of course, the NDE and the OBE, and as well as the UAP, where people say that they are, again, interacting with, the, with a, 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 another being and are leaving their body or being transported with their body, etc. But the God spot, you know, people have their uh, tumors removed from the parietal lobe. It's it's right next to the temporal lobe of, uh, uh, in the brain, in the on the left side, and and those who have tumors removed from a specific area, they have a, a more tendency to develop religious and spiritual beliefs, uh, and to have more experiences along those lines. Uh, so, you know, some researchers are saying that uh, you know what it's perceptual processing as it relates to spiritual experiences. You know, are mediated in the brain, but it doesn't mean that's where ESP is. It doesn't mean that uh, I feel oneness with the universe uh, and feel the profound joy, unconditional love that, that I'm experiencing when I'm uh, in a non-3D environment, as, as many, not all, claim. And we have to understand this variability among individuals with all of these kinds of experiences. Not one is the same. You know, we, we, 10 people go see Romeo and Juliet and 10 people come away with different takes on it. 10 people see the same crime. We you know when they testify in court, you get 10 different you know, narratives of, of the crime scene, what happened. There's always variation when we talk about individuals for numerous reasons besides one's DNA, which is not the same. Obviously, highly similar, but not exactly the same. Uh, and one's personal experiences, which, of course, are going to be very different, but we're nevertheless very similar, of, certainly. But everybody, and it's not always positive. There are negative NDEs, negative OBEs, negative events with UAPs, uh, and negative psychedelic effects. But, but there is also um, more positive, which is the critical point. And in our study that was, again, published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, we found that approximately 75 to 80 percent of our subject population of over 3,200 said that their experience with interacting with non-human entities was very positive. Now, people also say that of the DMT, NDE, and OBEs. Not enough research to confirm that, but there is a consistency. Uh, 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 among the few studies that do and suggest that the the validity of the experience is is stronger it doesn't prove it conclusively however but it is stronger i recently interviewed a, a university professor who wrote a book about ufos or uaps being time machines from the future and their occupants are us and since we're talking about uaps and past, present, and future 
occurring at the same time. I wonder what your opinion of such theory might be. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not a physicist to uh, critically know whether or not time could be manipulated in that way. Um, I, I can't claim to have an answer. I wish I did. Uh, you know, but w w when we when we see uh, people who see future events with great accuracy, um, and we're not talking many people, when you know there are people who have these kinds of abilities that transcend time and space, like ESP, it transcends time and space, um, and because it does, it does suggest that there's something about past, present, and future, precognition. You know, the brain reacts a few milliseconds before the onset of a stimulus. Pre, that's precognition on a bodily level. Uh, it's also obviously been demonstrated experimentally, behaviorally. But um, synchronicity, too, can have an altered time component as well. When people have these peak experiences, they do claim to sense a different time and space here again when no time and space exists so but again there it's anecdotal now so it's not going to be convincing of course to the scientific community uh, but that's all we have um, and, and so is it possible possibly uh, you know something Mel I had I had <laughs> come to that conclusion not a unique insight yeah, decades ago when I was a a teenager, I think, when we're just, you know, smoking some weed and drinking some bottle and talking about <laughs> UAPs, right? right. Uh, we, 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 we kicked that idea around. It's not a novel one. You know, you know they look like us. They're humanoid, humanoid in nature, which is probably one reason why they evolved on this planet, you know, who knows how many hundreds of thousands of years ago or are from our future. You know, there are um, physical anthropologists, and I knew one, a colleague of mine, and we had this kind of discussion about Sasquatch, who we did not believe in because it's not it's not feasible, given the fact that we simply have not caught one. How could it survive without detection um, or clear evidence? But that's why some people say it's interdimensional. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it is. Uh, but it's fun to kick it around. Uh, and it is stimulating, indeed. But I, brought uh, this up. Yeah. I brought this up because, yeah. think about it, if we are able to conquer time travel technology in the future, what would you and I do? I probably would guess that you and I would say, let's go back to experience historical events that happened throughout the world. And if we are able to, for, for some reason, we're able to interact with people, they would say, who are you? We can't say we're from the future. We might say we're from planet XYZ. And that would be a plausible deniability excuse for, for the people. Uh, an excuse for, you mean the beings? That, right. If somebody says, well, where yeah. are you from? We might say, yeah. well, we're from a planet very, very far away, when in reality we could be from, you know, 200 years in the future. Well, you know, in our study, that's a very good point, because we did obtain qualitative information, and many of the comments that were received in response to the questions we asked uh, were just that. You know, we come from your future, essentially. Uh, messages of love and spirituality you know, were common issues. Not, you know, the point is this. We could, we could 
take a guess at the messages that were received and and we'd be more often right than wrong it was the, the expected messages you know stop with the nukes uh, don't 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 make love not war along these lines now uh, who knows if that's all valid or the telling us things to calm us uh, to to uplift our spirituality um, uh, what are they from our future uh, who knows about uh, but you know, based on the Twilight Zone episode I recently saw, you know, don't go back in time and try to modify the past. It's going to have obvious, significant, adverse consequences right. in terms of the future. Back that, that. and and uh, I think it was uh, Stephen Hawking who said that, uh, as far as he was concerned, uh, you cannot go back into the past. I'm not sure how we felt about the future. And of course, he could be wrong. But physicists have different opinions. I, you know, I, I, I'm not one to have one. That's, that's simply not my field. But we certainly want to conjecture about it, as we should. Because if life was to develop it on this planet again, from that same primordial soup, the, the number of possibilities that exist relative to the way the DNA come together and form and synthesize and regulate, it would have been virtually impossible for us to appear the way we do now. We'd be vastly different. Maybe not. Maybe we'd be bipedal. Uh, maybe have this round thing on top of uh, you know, shoulders. Who knows? But a variation, to, to say the least, of a theme. Obviously, there'd be commonalities because of the the, the physical laws that govern just 3D environment with gravity and sun relationships, uh, etc. So we, we, we're going to evolve in this kind of uh, physical environment, and uh, but, but will would be very different. Maybe we would be like the Greys, or maybe they were, they are from our future, but they if they are, they shouldn't mess around. Um, they, they appear after 47, maybe with a strong message. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe they've always been around. Um, and we see evidence, of course, in folklore and the Bible. We, we've all heard that. I don't want to rehash this. Is it more than compelling evidence uh, in, in so many different ways of, of everything these individuals are saying about their peak experiences, uh, let alone alterations of time um, and space? the possibility of these beings actually coming from our future. I can't dismiss that as a possibility. I, I can't dismiss anything as a possibility. And I don't propose to have an answer. And, I'm, and I apologize all I, to your audience who, who like to listen to you, the, the people you have on because they're giving, they're giving of many firm answers. Not that they're accurate and correct all the time, but they're, they're spoon feeding. Now, I can't spoon feed in that way. I, I'm just trying to stimulate thought. And that's the purpose of my book. Um, you know, this is on my mind. I wonder if it's on your mind, too. Is consciousness the brain or not? Well, that was a, I wanted to leave the consciousness conversation for later, but everyone yeah. that's been on this program has a different definition, as you well said before, about consciousness. And I'll ask you, you later what your definition is. But all this talk about the UAPs and so on makes me wonder. You've heard of the term the jinn in the past. Could, you know, so many ancient books talk about the jinn. Could the jinn be the occupants of these UAPs now? Uh, 
Well, that's, uh, you know, Rosemary Ann Guiley, a, a dear friend of mine. I'm not yeah, sure if sure. you've ever had her. No, but um, I want to. Yeah, uh, she, she would be a remarkable guest. Uh, she's a, a leading authority in the paranormal in general, has written over 60 books. And, and one of her areas of research has been in the gin. And she, she gave me a book not long ago that I have. I, I read most of it. It's an, it's an excellent book. Uh, yeah. What are these things? You know, uh, the point is non-human intelligence, the jinn. It comes in many different uh, shapes, sizes, variety. Uh, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was generated uh, from the Hindu religion. I'm not sure, but the point is that these beings interact with humans. Uh, in many different ways, uh, sexually, by tricking the tricksters, as they're often called, uh, uh, providing insight and wisdom at times, maybe morphing in shape uh, to appeal to the individual, to either calm or scare them. Uh, according to Rosemary, these kinds of intelligences that have been around ever since we could you know, uh, develop uh, bare skins and stone knives that, that you know can be peaceful, loving, or hostile. Uh, are these beings that can they attach to us and make us behave in ways that we uh, can't understand? Exert influence and force on us? Uh, do they interact with us? Are these yeah? Are these the UAPs of the past? Are these the the the, the, the goblins, the, the fairies, the gnomes, the elves? As many people speculate, Nick Redfern has done a lot of work in this area. Um, John Keel, of course, and even Valet has, has talked at, at length in his in his unique books on the on this issue. This is not a unique topic, uh, but it is a very interesting one, and it's a very interesting in terms of anecdotal evidence, which which says a lot. It says a lot. Uh, but here again, we have a non-physical, it seems, phenomenon like the UAP, like the experience with the NDE, etc. It's a non-physical, meaning uh, some aspect of their mind, personality, self, soul, essence of being. Uh, it seems to um, it, it function with, without the 3D body that evolved to suit the needs of this planet uh, and can only therefore interact and function in terms of its sensory nervous system capabilities in a 3D way. You know, the, the detection of the presence of a visual, auditory, tactile stimulus or not, the qualitative features of certain colors or not, etc. But, but just maybe there is a non-physical aspect, or I should say different physical. It could be physical as well as non-physical. But the point is we communicate in, in a non-local, it, what appears to be an invisible pathway, ESP in other words. And these individuals, get, again, getting back to the main point of discussion, are contending that they're interacting on an invisible pathway with these beings. And it, these stories go back to the jinn, the gnomes, the goblins of, of folklore. Even the Bible is reference to this. So uh, I, I'm not an authority figure on that. I've read extensively uh, out of great interest because here again, we're, we're looking at the possibility of a coexisting species. I can't deny that. And it's easier to say all of this now that I'm retired from, from the, my academia <laughs> profession as a researcher. Yeah, you know, and many do so, uh, even while they're working. But look, 
this is not a wild notion. Uh, the show Ancient Aliens, uh, I forget the names, there's so many of them now, but some of them are very good in showing depictions of all of this from the, from the past as written in folklore, it's handed down in various ways. And uh, the question is, do I interpret it literally? Do I accept everything I hear on face value? And we all fall into that problem. Uh, you know, we make an error in inductive reasoning in that regard. We all have that problem at one time or another. Some are more susceptible than others. I, I, it's easy to say be critical, easy to say be objective. I try to be. I try to be. I write that way. Try to let the reader decide based on the evidence I provide. And I do. I do tend to lean in one direction versus another at times. Yes. In fact, let me lean in one direction. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, UAPs are real. That's, that's not a bold statement. For those of you who don't believe UAPs are either valid or not, you know, do your homework, please. Do your due diligence. Don't be so bold and eco, egocentric into saying that it's not. It is real. And also, uh, let me throw this little nugget out. ESP is real. I think most of your listeners, and, and you, Mel, if I may say, believe that ESP is real. I, I think you, in your bio, you, you, you do have some unique experiences uh, of consciousness. Am I right? That is correct. And I don't have a belief. I, it, it's my own experience. So I know based on what I went through. Yeah. And um, I commend you for mentioning it. And many of us you know, know the truth, uh, an aspect of reality that we would not have known if we did not experience something that defies the logical explanation, and it and it all comes in so many different ways. Uh, was it was it your show? Did you did was it you who interviewed uh, Chris Bledsoe or someone who knew Chris Bledsoe? I did. Yeah, I heard that show just last night. Um, I, I apologize, but I fell asleep about two thirds of the way in. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, you, know, you take something like that, that, if, you, if those of you who may not have heard that, listen to it. And I can't remember what what season it was in. You know, I hit it at random, those different ones, and I, and I listened to the subscribed ones. But anyway. For, for the folks listening, just go to the Google search on our webpage and just put Chris Bledsoe, and it's right there. And it's so inter interesting that... You, a person, the scientific methodology trained that way. I've had so many professors and people of science writing to me and mentioning that specific interview. And it's uncanny that a lot of you just find that so interesting. I think it's because Chris Bledsoe, if you know the story, folks, this is a businessman, a family man who did not believe in any of this and what he went through. And he just goes in chronological order and you just can't how can you how can you disprove what he experienced bob uh i can't put it any better how could you how could you disprove what he experienced yes uh maybe that's why some some of these individuals commented in the way that they did i feel the same way uh it was remarkable the authenticity and I'm not sure if that's the word that's capturing it, uh, of the individual who discussed the entire incident. I, that wasn't Chris Bledsoe, was it? No, I can't recall. Yes, huh? it was him. You mean on that the was, interview? That was yeah, Chris Bledsoe that, himself? That was Chris. I didn't yes. catch the name at the beginning. Absolutely remarkable. There is nobody 
if you listen to the way he says what he says, not only about the essence of the experience itself, which is unbelievable uh, in so many different ways, but the manner, the style he uses in conveying the information. There is such an essence of truth there. Uh, now, could he be, he's not lying, he's not fabricating, but uh, maybe, you know, the question is, are they all psychotic? I doubt it. Uh, but the authentic nature of how he expresses the un, I, I, there's no word, uh, unfathomable kinds of experience they had from the seven foot tall, uh, you know, gray or, or uh, non-human entity uh, to uh, interacting with the, you know, physical you know, shiny craft, uh, you know, close at hand and that follows them in their car, uh, among other things. In fact, uh, I was particularly interested in that episode because I do know someone who knows, you know, Chris Bledsoe, uh, well, uh, actually two people and he, I'm not going to say where he lives, but somewhere in the South. And, uh, they say that Chris can call down UAPs at, at will or, or often has uh, paranormal experiences and people often go to his house, uh, which is full of paranormal stuff just for the purpose of experiencing it. It's like the Walmart of the paranormal, like the Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's uh, anything is possible, but on a much smaller scale. So now are they lying. No, but people who are here again, it, interact with these UAPs and in our study, as if I may uh, allude to it again, about three quarters of those who said that they interacted with the UAP said so that they were contactees as opposed to abductees, um, non-physical telepathic communication with the beings as opposed to being relocated physically as if they were taken to a craft. Now that dispels the notion by uh, Hawk, uh, Hopkins and the uh, other person, a name I forget, uh, who contend that it's largely negative and the people are being abducted. All of them are being abducted physically. Not the case. Uh, sexual activity experiences, uh, sperm, egg stuff, uh, being given a hybrid child, etc., etc. All the stuff we know about uh, occurs. It occurs, so people say but on a much smaller scale, about 10% of the 3,200 say that that actually happens. Again, if the vast majority say it's positive, as opposed to being negative, what, what Hopkins and uh, the other uh, hypnotherapists, and both of them use hypnotherapy, the people who responded in our survey, we said only respond if you have conscious recall of your experience, non-hypnotic. Could certain percentage be psychotic? Of course. Could 3,200 of them be? No. And for those that percent that are, and I'm sure there are, it could not have swayed the results mean, in a meaningful way based on the incident statistics regarding the uh, psychosis. And for individuals who are truly schizophrenic, psychotic, dissociative, they often have very negative symptoms, anxiety, depression, isolation from society. These individuals, on the other hand, again, the vast majority say that it's very positive in, in the manner that we discussed, more sensitive to the environment, more compassionate, sympathetic, a greater realization of themselves and life. They do not fear death. These are similar. These transformative effects are similar to the other big experiences that we have been referring to. Similarity, that's an underlying thread. 
here again. Why? That's the premise of the book. So we get these little nuances of, among all of these experiences, one of them being the life-changing transformative aspects of it. That's meaningful. Uh, not all. Many have that spiritual emergency initially, afraid to seek the psychologist who oftentimes does not know how to deal with a spiritual emergency, that's not aware that one can have these kinds of experiences, which, by the way, are much more frequent than not. About 10 to 20 percent of the population report to have a spiritual extraordinary experience of some type in their life. We're talking millions of individuals are, you know, having their knocks socked off, socks off, to put it mildly, in varying ways, largely positive. But everybody is asking the question, why me? What happened? Am I going psychotic? We, we, a spiritual emergency. I've had, I had it after mine. How could you not? It's normal reaction. Now, hopefully it's integrated. Hopefully one is counseled appropriately because it can certainly lead to uh, interpersonal relationship problems as well as anxiety, depression, etc. And the experiencer. So they need proper support. You know, sitting alone in one's room, as many do. And in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, the individual, uh, oh, Chris was saying that he was isolated after the experience for a long time. He just sat in his room and did nothing. Isolation, loneliness, that's a symptom of depression, not surprisingly. But people are moved in this way, PTSD. And and you can have PTSD in, in, in all of its serious adverse manifestations uh, in many different ways, not only in combat, as it is often used uh, to, uh, you know, to to be part of a symptomatology of those that that are engaged in combat and, and experience the other horrors of war, war and are affected not surprisingly by it. But it can happen in other ways too. So uh, people uh, keep this closed. Am I going to say after? Uh, uh, an interaction with a non-human intelligence from whatever means that, um, am I going to tell my next door neighbor when we're uh, having coffee? I don't think so. <laughs> am I going to tell my colleague in the lab, hey, guess what happened last night? I, I doubt it. Uh, now, I may confide in somebody, sure. In fact, it, how can one not? you got to get it out. You, you seek, I think, to do that. To do that. Uh, some regret it. Some are afraid to certainly discuss any of this stuff that we're talking about to a psychologist for obvious negative diagnosis, uh, inappropriate management, is a psychoactive drug. Good luck. Come back uh, every two weeks for cognitive behavioral therapy. We'll see how you're doing. Or you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <clears throat> you believe you're interacting with non-human entities, so you're, you're speaking to to beings that that you don't see. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, how long has this been going on? Well, it happened, uh, actually it happened a few times over the last several years. You know, people are often contacted or abducted. We know it's repeated. In fact, in our study, uh, it was more common for it to be, and I can't recall the number, for it to have more than 10. No, excuse me, 3 to 10. That was it. Uh, that time frame, 3 to 10 so-called interactions in their lifetime. It was much more common than only one. Uh, and it, there were some people that reported more than 20 contacts. Uh, but 
they feel they're in another matrix reality. Oh, Am I going to tell? I don't mean yeah. to interrupt you, but we have to cut both segments and give you a break. Also, it's been an hour. But what you're saying is just it's. I'm listening to it, and it's exactly what so many people who write to me who do not want to share their story with a psychotherapist. Number one, you said if it's a psychiatrist, they're going to probably prescribe anti-depression or anti-anxiety medication. Not only that, they fear for their jobs. They fear that if the government finds out, they may come after their children and take their children away because they think these people are mentally unstable. So thank goodness there's good people out there who are providing these services to, to experiencers uh, where they can feel comfortable that they're, there's not going to be any retaliation or you know close-mindedness from the establishment, if you know what I mean. Oh, you're exactly right. And, and fortunately, there are people out there who do provide the support who are often experiences themselves and have that inherent, inherent insight, which is what that person wants. Because after this kind of experience, the last thing you want to hear is you have a psychological problem exactly. from someone in a white coat, so to speak. Right. The last the last thing uh, that'll put and it does put many over the edge. That's why not all the time it's experienced has a positive effect. Uh, but more than not, it does. But it often depends on one's obvious personality, uh, psychological state prior to the experience itself. Bob, how can people buy Unseen Forces, the integration of science, reality, and you, and your other books? Uh, it can all be accessed uh, through Amazon. Uh, more information about me and, and uh, those books can be found on my website, bobdavisspeaks.com. That's one word, bobdavisspeaks.com. Folks, don't go anywhere. We have great, great questions coming in part two. So this is Mel Bambergas. We are listening to Veritas. My special guest today is Dr. Robert Davis. Much more when we come back in the member section. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you. <laughs>